Welcome to the WOW. Uh, It is good to be here tonight. Uh, We're going to be studying the book of Ruth together. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, would you raise your hand and somebody will run that up to you uh, real quick. And you're going to want one tonight because uh, we're going to be working our way right through that. All right, and for those of you that do, please open uh, to the book of Ruth, which it's a small book following the book of the Judges. What's in a name is one of the most famous lines uh, that still is floating around today. What's in a name? It's from, uh, as many of you know, the story of Romeo and Juliet, when Juliet turns to Romeo and says, what's in a name? Would not a rose by any other name still smell as sweet? What's in a name, she says. And the answer, if she had read the book of Ruth, as we would encourage her to do, is quite a bit. There's an awful lot in a name. I would know when I was born, uh, I was given one of those kind of names, one of those huge kind of names. It's a name that I've seen translated elsewhere as noble or as illustrious, as kingly. It's quite the name to uh, live into, kind of pulls your shoulders back a little bit, holds your head high. In fact, there's a tremendous number of bishops that have come uh, holding this name, so it almost feels right, feels fitting uh, as I entered into the pastorate that, that that would be the case. It's a huge name, a tremendous name. The name I was given at birth was Grady. But then my parents decided that my identical twin brother looked a little bit more, I guess, those things, illustrious, noble, and kingly. Uh, and so they decided in the subsequent time that, in fact, he should be named Grady. And so that name of great heritage was taken from me, and I was given the name that I now hold, Cody, uh, which also has quite a history, and when I tracked it back through English, uh, it's really old as well, really old, and it is the old English term for a pillow (laughs) or a cushion. Quite the name swap. There's a lot in a name. There's a lot in a name. So what's in a name when we think about that? If you ask me or if you ask Ruth, the answer is an awful lot. There's a lot in a name. It says a lot about a person. What's in a name? And it's with that in mind when we think about the names in our story before us tonight from the book of Ruth. Keep your eye on the names. Because there's a lot to be seen there. And as we just heard from the fine fellow in the uh, Witness Protection Program, Ruth follows the book of Judges, which is much longer than Ruth is. uh, And it gives us the context that we need to understand what's happening in the book of Ruth. So if we just flipped back to Judges, which you don't need to do with me uh, tonight, we would find that over and over again, Israel is caught in this cycle that... Uh, at least the translator of this text calls Israel's unfaithfulness. And what it means by that is in the book of Judges, the Israelite people get stuck in this story on repeat. 
that time and time again, the Israelite people fall into sin and they walk away from the Lord. And when they walk away from the Lord, they find as they departed from His presence, things didn't go so well and a a neighboring nation would come in and conquer them, would take their land, would rule over them, enslave them. And in that time of oppression and slavery or exile, the people would cry out to God and say, God, help us. And God would come back and He'd raise up a deliverer who would come and free His people or redeem His people. And so this happens over and over and over and over again. And it's some of the most famous names of the Old Testament that you see come out in the book of the Judges because these people fall and God raises up a deliverer to bring freedom. And the whole thing kind of circles around this idea that when sinners repent of their sins... God is faithful to deliver them. When sinners repent of their sins, God is faithful to deliver them. And so he does time after time after time after time. But in the time of the judges, they just keep falling back into sin. And as it says in the very last verse of the book of the judges, right before we turn the page to Ruth, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we flip the page and we come to Ruth and we see a family living smack dab in the middle of that story. In fact, Boaz, one of the key characters in Ruth, we find out in the New Testament later that Boaz is the son of Rahab, the woman that Scott talked about a few weeks ago, the prostitute from Jericho that God had used to save his people really the first time. Uh, Now here we come into conversation with her son, Boaz, a righteous man. So that places you back in the story uh, where we were last time, uh, and it places you in the story of Ruth, a story about real people making real decisions with real consequences, a story about names and the people they represent, because in that time, in the context of Judges, there was no king in Israel, so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so we turn to Ruth to see what that looks like, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1, if you have it open. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the first was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years and both Malon and Kilion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. And keep your text open because this is not the end of the word of the Lord. But don't forget about the names. Because we're stepping into a story and we're asking what's in a name. And the answer is an awful lot because the name in Ruth tells us a little bit about what's happening. The first name we come, in, come into in this story is Elimelech, which means my God is king. Elimelech. The first man in a story dwelling in a land that just declared nationally that they could do whatever they wanted because there was no king. And then we meet Elimelech. My God is king. Striking. They forgot about God. Elimelech, my God is king, is living in a kingless land. But he walks away from Israel with his two sons, the first named Malon, which means weakness or sickness. And the second is Kilion, which means annihilation. So here he is, the patriarch of the family bearing a strong name, a name of renown in Israel, a name that declares what the people believe, that God is king. And here he is in that land, and he's walking away. And as he walks away into Moab, he's followed by his heirs, to the family name, sickness and annihilation. What's in a name? Just ask Elimelech. As he walks away from Bethlehem, or the house of bread, as that translates, in the middle of a famine. You see, what's in a name? There's enough to say that the world is not as it should be when we come into the story of Ruth. There's enough to know that the big story of the judges is true in the small story of Naomi and Ruth. That there's this cycle playing out. As God is king is walking away from the house of bread that's in the middle of a famine being followed by his two sons, sickness and annihilation. We're thinking this isn't as it ought to be. Everything's backwards. Everything's twisted. Everything's wrong. And so they arrive in Moab, the place that they hope to live, and it's in that land that they die. And if we had just read Judges, the cycle would be fresh in our minds that the people fall into sin. They do evil in the eyes of the Lord, and He sends them away under the power of a neighboring nation, one of the times Moab, and in that context of oppression, they cry out to God and they repent. They return to God and he saves them. Which is good news for Ruth and Naomi because here already at the beginning of the book, we've covered the first two cycles. We left the Lord. We went into exile in Moab, which means repentance or turning around which is where we pick up the story in verse 6. 
Then she, being Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law and returned from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And we're going to skip ahead to verse 14. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And again, jumping to verse 19, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. And again, pay attention to the names. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabiter daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And we're going to stop there for now. Keep it open again because we'll keep going. Naomi returned to Israel empty, as she describes. And what she means by that is she returned as a widow. And when I looked through the Old Testament at every context that uses the word widow to see what's happening, I see words like weeping, mourning, desolation. Talking about them economically, I saw words like poverty and indebtedness. The widow, in fact, is often paired with the orphan and the foreigner that has no land as the poorest of the poor in Israel. So when she's talking about coming back empty, it's in nearly every way. The life of a widow in Israel was not a good one. It was not a hopeful one. It was not one with a future. And so she comes back and she's lost everything. Her rights to an inheritance and her hope for a future. And so when she comes back empty, this is what she means. She left with an empty belly in the middle of a famine, yes, but she came back with an empty heart, with an empty life. There was nothing left for Naomi. We've seen lots of famines so far this year, haven't we? As we studied this big story of the Bible and seen how it looks in our own story playing out, we've looked at lots and lots of famines. There was famine in the time of Abraham. There was famine in the time of Jacob. And again in Joseph. And again as the Israelites came out of Egypt. And each time we see in these famines, in these stories, that it's an invitation from God or a challenge of God, depending on the circumstances, to say, trust me. Where is it that you're placing your hope? Where is it that you're placing your confidence? Come back to me. The famine was always an invitation 
in the Old Testament, but the first famine, the famine of food in the time of Elimelech only pushed him further away from God. The second famine, one much more personal, led Naomi to turn around and come back. As a famine was always meant to do, to turn around, to come back. And it's this personal famine that led her to come back to the Lord. And as she walks, she gives us a little bit of an idea of what she's thinking And so we look at that again in verse 20, and it says, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Her theology is pretty good because she's not that far off, right? She knows that there's a God. It's a great start. She knows that God is in control. That's true. She knows that God is the one that allowed all of this to happen. We know from the book of Job that also is true. But I wish Naomi had been able to come to the well this semester because she's missing the ending that we've seen and I'd love if we could remind her. She's missing the ending because when we were looking at these famines and these seasons of hopelessness, there's always the twist at the end. There's always the turn and Naomi has forgotten about it. Remember when I talked about Abraham and I was talking about how he was wandering through the desert and we looked at the book of Hebrews that Abraham was looking for a home that was not of this world and I said at the end because Abraham knew what we forgot that the best is yet to come. So too Naomi, she forgot. Or when we looked at Joseph not that much Later, remember, he had just about everything bad that could happen, happened to Joseph. And he ends up in this prison in Egypt, and I could see him saying the line of Naomi, don't call me Joseph, call me Mara, for my life's bitter. That's not what he said. No, when his brothers came to him in the time of famine, he said, you intended all of this for evil. But God intended it for good. You see, there's always a twist in the famine. There's always a turn in the drought. And Naomi is missing it. And I wish she could be reminded because it was in her fullness that she walked away. It was in her fullness. She said, I went away full. That's true. In her fullness, she walked away. What she doesn't realize, it's her emptiness that brought her back. Naomi wouldn't have come back if it hadn't been for the second famine, one much more personal, one that hit much closer to home. It was the emptiness that was the grace, not the fullness. There's a turn, there's a twist. And Naomi's missing it. And in coming back, she starts the turn in the cycle that I talked about. We have the sin. We have the exile. We're to repentance. And what is repentance if not turning around? Turning away from that which you were doing before, that where you were going before. Turning around and coming back. And so we come to the repentance and we come as we know from Judges, to the redemption. The best part. 
the turn, the twist. It's coming. And I'm going to go really fast at this point, so stick with me as we fly through the beginning of Ruth where we started and we head towards the end because in chapter 2 they return to Bethlehem, Naomi and Ruth. The two of them go together. And when they get to Bethlehem, it's the beginning of the barley harvest. And so, as I just shared, the plight of a widow is not a good one. So Ruth heads out, as a foreigner would, to a local field and she begins to pick up the scraps behind the farmers, the men that are harvesting the field. She walks behind them and picks up some scraps And in that field, she finds favor in the eyes of the landowner, Boaz, who tells his men to stay away from her and, in fact, leave extra for her to pick up. And she goes home with just this huge load, a huge harvest from her day's labor. And she lays it before Naomi. And then in chapter 3, she finds out this Boaz that was so kind to you. He's actually our kinsman redeemer, is what Naomi says. And a note about the kinsman redeemer, because you're going to need to know this to understand the book of Ruth. The kinsman redeemer is the one who is next in line, the closest male relative who will redeem the family. And by that I mean in the case of a woman being married and not having children, when her husband dies, it is the job of the nearest male, typically a brother, to marry the widow and father a child by her. But the child is not the son or daughter of the living man. No, the child belongs to the one who had died. And so he redeems the family name. So in this case, Boaz being the kinsman redeemer, his task would be to marry the widow, who is Ruth, in order that she could have a son who would carry on the name of Elimelech. Are you following me? Not the name of Boaz. This is what it means to redeem a family so that, as they would say, his name may not disappear from among his people. Elimelech would keep going through the child born to Ruth by the kinsman redeemer. And it's there that we return to the story. Because as we fast forward all the way to the end, we see Boaz take the necessary steps to make the marriage official and accept his role as kinsman redeemer. And after that happens, we pick up the story in chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. If you have it open yet, turn there. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Did you notice the slight twist in the women's account as they blessed Naomi? Did you, did you notice the slight turn of the account of what happened? 
because so far all this talk about a redeemer had been surrounding this man, Boaz. He is the kinsman redeemer. But then when the women bless Naomi, they turn to her and say, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. He, the redeemer, shall be to you a restorer of life for your daughter-in-law who loves you has given birth to him. The Redeemer, the one who will restore Naomi's life, who will restore Naomi's name from bitterness back to pleasantness. The Redeemer is the baby. The Redeemer is the one born for that very purpose to restore the life and name and honor of one who is hopeless, one who is out who is without name among the people of Israel, one who is dead. And God's solution for Naomi is a baby. Which is the whole point. Naomi's redeemer is a baby born in Bethlehem. Naomi's Redeemer is one who has been born for that specific purpose. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, whose story we will pick up in our first week back in the well after break. Who was, if we fast forward all the way, we know a forefather of another baby born in Bethlehem. Jesus, the Redeemer not just of Naomi, not just of Elimelech in his name, but of all people in all places at all times. So here we are the Sunday before exams, exhausted, busy, tired, a little bit stressed on occasion, not sleeping enough. You wouldn't believe how many people I saw come into the Cook DeWitt Center this week that just looked just not a great week for people around the Cook DeWitt. Uh, they were looking tired and worn out. They looked like they were in a famine. And they were looking for hope and they were looking for something to hang their hat on because this is a tough week. Exam week is a tough week. Maybe even the week before exams is a tougher week. It's even tougher for those that just don't make the mark for the program that they were trying to get into or the, the grade they needed to pass that class. And now they, oh, that class again next semester. And so they're looking around and feeling bitter. Because there's uncertainty, there's hurt, there's doubt. And for some of us here tonight, the worst part is even yet to come. Because we get through all of these grades, we get through all of this work, and we head home to a place that is more emotionally distant and further removed. And so the famine really picks up there. With our siblings we can't talk to or our parents that we'd rather not see. 
And so here we are in real famines, places of deep struggle. And it's into these places that God decides to come. And he does. But he comes in such a way that doesn't remove all the heartache immediately. He comes in such a manner that doesn't restore all the beauty now. He comes in such an unassuming way that we barely recognize him. Remember, after all, it's the glory of God that drew us further and further away because it was a frightful thing to be in the presence of a glorious God until that God appeared among us in a way that we could embrace. Quite literally. But it isn't in a way that removes all of those bad things because in the midst of it all, the Redeemer that comes to us is a baby. Born on Christmas Day, the one who comes to redeem and save and restore hope and restore life is a baby. And his very first act as our Redeemer is not to wipe all those things away. No, it's to be born smack dab in the middle of it. You see, Christmas comes right in the middle of it all. It doesn't wipe it all away. No, the presence of God is found right in the heart of it. And she shall give birth to a son, the story tells us, and you shall call his name Jesus. God saves because he will save his people from their sins. So what's in a name? An awful lot when that name is Jesus. What's in a name? More than we could hope for. More than we could imagine. What's in a name? In the name of Jesus is hope. In the name of Jesus is life. In the name of Jesus is bringing us out from all of these other things. From all the emptiness to a fullness we never, ever could have seen coming. The name of Jesus. There's more than we ever knew to look for. In a baby. That's enough for us this Christmas. Let's pray. God, what a marvelous thing that the Redeemer that came to us is one that we never would have looked for. What a marvelous thing that your first step in redeeming us as your people was to become one of us. God, that's unthinkable. So God, we worship you. God, we come before you humbled by your humility. God, we pray that in this night and in this Christmas, your name would be famous. 
God, let it be so. We love you so, so much. Because it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Please stand and worship.